Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. All right, well, let's just go straight into it, right? Welcome to Off Air. It's a podcast. I'm Jane Garvey. I'm Fee Glover. She's back from her jollies. And we were just talking about bridesmaids because... Because we've got a, a inside job on the programme tomorrow uh, where we're going to talk to a professional bridesmaid who presumably is someone you phone up and book when you don't have enough bridesmaids or, or they organise your bridesmaids. What is it? Well, obviously, we'll find out tomorrow. Yeah. But I suspect it'll be someone who plays the part brilliantly and perhaps is able to organize the hen night uh maybe make sure that everything is absolutely perfect on the day can deal with anything difficult that crops up as it sometimes might uh and there are let's face it there are occasions on big days where things can go a little awry and it's probably really good to have somebody with a cool head who is not emotionally invested yes but do you think that they wear the dress and you know walk down the aisle behind you this is why you are an award-winning journalist. <laughs> and these are the very questions you can put to our guest tomorrow. I'll let you take charge because right. you thought yeah, it through. Okay. Bridesmaids is one of my favourite films. It's ever so rude and it's quite childish, but I really love it. What's the rudest thing in that? I don't think I've seen oh, it. my gosh. Well, I don't think we can talk about that here. I'll oh. tell you off air. <gasps> I could almost tell you, couldn't I, because that's the name of the podcast. Exactly. Yes. So, yeah. it's well, all... it's just a bit It's just a bit fruity and it's about female friendship. Uh, but what... <laughs> I don't believe in that sort of thing. No, I know. I think, I think listeners will have cottoned on to that by now. Uh, but it just, it is very funny. Uh, so you've been a bridesmaid twice. I think three times. Three times. But I'm just wrestling Have all with of that. the marriages ended in divorce? So far, but listen, you could still, you could still hire me. I don't know why I'm laughing. It's very no, sad. It's extremely sad. Yeah. Um, this is from Joe. Uh, you were talking about a woman being buried in her pinny. Some years ago, I spotted this in the in memoriam section of my local paper. Mothers never really die. They just do housework in the sky. Oh, God. Oh I've got to say, if that's my lot for all eternity, I will be absolutely livid. Do you know I was doing ironing at quarter past eight this morning? Yeah, but it won't be because you're here and you've worked all the way through. That's so what you've chosen to do. So what, will I be in broadcasting heaven then? Yes, well, we have talked about this, haven't It'll we? Be a whether or not back in, yeah, back in the old place, uh, whether or not... Because there was a John Peel wing, which I think has now been renamed. I think you'll find it's not called that anymore. Nope. And not before time, by the way. And uh, there's the Frankie Howard meeting room. And uh, I was once admonished in test card, which is a room. Yeah, and were you? Yes. Okay. I've been appointed uh, and gilded in Mary Berry. Have you? Yes, very much so. Uh, so we have been in the past wondering what accolade you'd get. I, th I think it is a... Small cubicle in a toilet. <laughs> no, I just, I'm, I'm talking about, let's say there is a heaven somewhere to go when we pass on. I don't like die. euphemisms. Die. Just say die. die. I'm with you. Just say die when we die. Uh, and Tony Marnock, uh, DJ Fat Tony, who's our guest on Off Air and was indeed our guest on the live radio show, which you can listen to, by the way. It doesn't cost you a penny to get the Times Radio app. And then you can, as we used to say in the old days, tune in to us live imagine what that's like uh monday to thursday three till five british summertime back to the story yeah i imagine that tony up in heaven he'll be in the cordoned off vip area very much so yeah. yes and all the celebrities you know george michael will be there boy george by then will have also met his maker 
died and everybody else who knocked about at the Blitz Club back in the day. And They'll just be standing in a very long line, not allowed in. <laughs> they won't be allowed in. They'll be humiliated because their outfit's not daft a enough. A massive cuboid of a man saying, no, you're not coming in. <laughs> but I just wonder what will our chances be of getting in? Probably quite slim. Oh, but I'm not sure that I want to be in DJ Fat Tony's never-ending dance floor of heaven, actually. I think I'd just like to be in quite a calm, quiet area with some of my very old friends looking out over a meadow with some birds tweeting and absolutely non-stop cheese and okay. rosé wine. Hmm. and Unusual combination. No, I'll be very happy. Would you? Okay. Uh, right. Um, lots of fantastic, fantastic emails from you. And I just want to say thanks. Joan and Fee at times.radio. We always say we read every one. We are trying at the moment to read every one. It's getting a bit difficult, isn't it? But that doesn't mean we're not trying. Yeah, we so are. the volume is uh, is enormous. And actually, if you've got a really, really, really long email and something, you know, serious and thoughtful, because we do like to read all of them, uh, it might be an idea just to hang back for a week or so and we'll make our way through the emails we've got at the moment. And I've saved a couple of the very long ones mm. about very serious things for the next email special. OK, yes. And I know people enjoy the email special, yeah. so we're definitely doing another one. But actually, talking of serious, I really wanted to use this one um, because... Because it's from a listener who says, I have just listened to you talking to Lorraine about the simple steps we can take to get diagnosed and access treatment for bowel cancer early. And my stomach is in knots. I'm 41. I've got three children. And for the last six to seven months, I've noticed a change in my bowel habits. I know I should see my doctor and the early diagnosis makes all the difference, but I just can't get a GP appointment. We're asked to call between 8.30 and 10.30 to get an appointment. I don't try every week, but I have made concerted efforts on and off to get one. I'm either too late by the time I do get to speak to somebody or I'm unable to even get a slot in the queue. I am now seriously considering getting a private GP appointment because I just don't know how to access the NHS with the current situation at my doctor's surgery. Well, to that uh, listener, I think I, my advice would be, yes, definitely get yourself an appointment. If you have to go private, do it. But really, you shouldn't have to do that. Um, if, if you can, I would suggest you go down to your doctor's surgery and just stand there in front of the receptionist and say, look, there's all this public information being pumped out quite rightly about a change in bowel habits potentially being significant. I'm experiencing that. I need to see a doctor. That would be a reasonable approach, wouldn't it? Well, I guess so. But I think, um, you know, if that's going to be problematic for you or you think it's actually going to not result in anything happening at the doctor's surgery because you might simply, you know, be escorted from the premises. And the problem is, uh, you know, I think the doctor's receptionists are really at the coal face. Oh, no, they're up against it. But honestly, it's always been my belief that if you're really nice and, and polite they'll be lovely to you and I always am and they always are and if I've ever needed an appointment I've got one because I've been incredibly polite but fairly persistent and also aware as you say that these people it's usually women though not always they are at the sharp end and some people are incredibly rude to them and that is dreadful yeah. obviously don't do it so it just might not have the desired effect and I think uh, you know, Jane's right. We should all be able to go and see our GP. That's the point of the National Health Service and it should be free at the point of care and all of that. But actually, if you are worrying yourself yeah. about, uh, you know, whether or not this is the start of something really serious and you can afford to go private and you can have that initial consultation and, a, you know, quite it's quite a simple test, actually, uh, that will tell you whether or not you're right to be worried, then maybe that is the thing to do. And I would say just don't allow yourself to get caught up in any situation where that test is going to be delayed. Yes, quite. And also sometimes, actually, just anxiety can make your bowels go to pot, can't, can't Yeah. It? And it's part of a much, much wider conversation yeah. that, you know, needs to be had in the country about, um, you know, where your personal decision making lies about the morality of having to go private when we've all been brought up to believe that our health care should be free i mean it's not free because we pay our taxes but you know what i mean and i think if it's impeding your own mm. anxiety you know being reduced by just getting a test done getting the okay or then being able to phone the doctor and saying i've had this test it's not great i need to come in uh, i would just do that actually mm. but don't ignore it no i, I sense from the emailer that you are worried 
But as so many, I mean, I'm like this myself. I'm such a procrastinator. I get it completely. But please don't put mm. it off. Uh, this is a lovely one from Annie who says, Dear Jane and Fee, are you living inside my head? I was cross with you, leaving me without the previous podcast, finally persuaded to forgive you and try off air. Well, I did today, having just finished binging on Colin from accounts, now cooking supper in my plasticized pinny and talking to my daughter, who's an extra in rivals. What's going on? Oh, I know. That's all our things. I tell you what, um, (laughs) Jane Mulcairins yesterday showed me a picture of Aidan Turner and he's in Rivals. Now, was... Oh, no, or is it Riders? Was Aidan Turner... Poldark. In Poldark. Yeah, yeah. him. The man whose shirt slips off at any moment in a little Cornish breeze. I think think I'm okay to say that he's Rupert Campbell Black. Is he? So that's Riders, isn't it? Not Rivals. Yes, yeah, that is. No, no, no. I think Rupert Campbell appears in all manner of guises okay. across the Jilly Cooper genre. He's galloping across across the Cotswold prairies in any number of different uh, different books. Yeah. Right. Well, I look forward to it. Uh, and another one, uh, welcome to the club. This one uh, comes from you're either Bill or Margaret. I think you're probably Margaret. Hard to tell from the email address. Uh, I can't help feeling that I'm very much your target audience. Born in Leicestershire. Uh, tertiary education in Birmingham, then emigrated to New Zealand postmenopausal, moderately awful sex drive, moderate interest <laughs> in crime fiction, but infrequent watcher of movies. I enjoy your interviews and conversations. I really wanted to say how pleased I was to hear your recent conversation about Jude Law and your interview with Joe Nesbo, mostly because I thought they were both women. Kind regards. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Uh, hello to everybody down under. Um, I've been catching up on your podcasts and your discussions with and about Joe Nesbo, writes Kate. Whenever I hear his name or see it on a book cover, I'm forced to burst into an internal rendition of Sunita's So Macho, substituting Joe Nesbo for the titular words. I trust you are now afflicted with this, inflicted with this ailment. Sorry, not sorry, says Kate. Joe Nesbo. Yes, it almost, it works. You gotta be Joe Nesbo. And he was a little bit Joe Nesbo, wasn't he? Yes. What did we have? We had a similar one, didn't we, before, which was to so macho. What was it? Can you remember? Oh, no, I can't remember anything. I can't remember anything, she said as though that's funny. Uh, It'll come back to me. I don't know whether it will. And Jill says, you were talking recently about pretensions. Well, at the age of 12, I was awarded a prize for English, and in an attempt to live up to my teacher's aspirations, I asked for a copy of... Ulysses by James Joyce. I never cracked the spine. Brilliant, says Jill. Well done. Very honest. You've been totally upfront about that. I suspect no one has actually read Ulysses. <sighs> I haven't read it all the way through. I've tried a chapter. I think I've read. I think I might have read the Dubliners. Okay. It's quite short. Uh, Ali says, when I was sixteen, I went to Amsterdam to visit my dad, who was working there for a while. I bought a variety of Dutch cigarettes and took them home to smoke in front of my friends. I thought I must have appeared so sophisticated and worldly. I didn't like smoking, <laughs> so that was it. Uh, I just wanted to say a very quick hello uh, to Victoria, uh, who ends her email with "You bring light laughter and sometimes intelligent discussion." No problem at all. And Nick says, I was pondering after your conversation about various changes of clothes throughout the day. I just wanted to add the first thing I do is whip off the bra normally before the top that's over it. We all do it. The standard straps down, arms through, quick spin, release. I'm home. Thanks for the company. I can never really do that, actually. Can you? I don't take a bra off. Take a bra off without taking my top off first. Oh, my God. And I'm not just I'm just not very good at wandering around. Braless, I think, as we've previously Oh, no, there's not a cat in hell's chance of me going around without a bra. No. No, I think no. even if the fire alarm went off, I'd stop to put a bra on. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's true. The idea of living through that sort of turmoil with no support is unthinkable. Which reminds me yes. uh, of Mort, whose email is much appreciated. Uh, Jane, um, I couldn't agree with you more on succession. Thank you, Mort. People are piling in on my side of this argument. It's one person, Jane. It's one of the most People watched TV are series piling ever. in on my side of the argument. Inundated. One DM. <laughs> 
Mort says, at the urging of friends and co-workers, I lasted through five episodes, horribly bored. I wish I'd taken your advice against theirs and not wasted all that time. Now, let's move on to another subject. I don't know where you see all these men adjusting themselves. (laughs) I love Mort. Could you take some snapshots? I live in Detroit. I've spent a bit of time in London. I haven't seen it here or indeed there. I see far more bra adjustment, including more major realignments. (laughs) As a gay man who'd probably be more amused by a man giving himself a bit of a tug, bras and their contents interest me as much as sea plankton. (laughs) You know it must exist, but you aren't sure why. Okay, oh, let's let's go with Mort on a journey. Okay, he's going to just try and explain where he's coming from. Um, I'd like for you to imagine bras with no cup size, just the chest measurement. These are men's pants. You get what you buy, unable to return once opened, and you have to live with it. Sticking to one brand doesn't do the trick because suppliers change. You toss the absolute worst uncomfortable squeeze to rotten fit and make do with everything else surely somebody has got a grant actually mort's written gotten because he's an american surely someone had gotten a grant to monitor lift cctv and count the number of adjustments and who's more willing to do what with an audience your research team could probably find it on the google i'll bet that the findings aren't very close to what you voiced on your podcast thanks and love to you and fee for making the world a better place for decades, says Mort, which I'm not entirely sure is something I want to hear. Uh, right, OK, so Mort is basically saying that our suspicion that it's men who are always doing the rearranging isn't true. Well, Mort, okay. I was very specifically referring to the rearranging done in showers and swimming pools before and after a swim, mm-hmm. particularly after when uh, the gentlemen are bringing in a little body wash with them and they're having their... Yes their washing shower, not just their get clean for the pool shower. And there's an astonishing amount of grabbing going on and zhuzhing. And I think sometimes they just need to re- reassure themselves it's still there. <laughs> Watching and all of that. Has he and fallen off? It's yeah. a really good point, more because I don't see women who come in with three bottles, shampoo, conditioner and body wash, are bad, and they're not... Uh, rearranging their boobs whilst giving them a wash. That just doesn't happen. I never do that. So sometimes I will have a shower with soap suds. Calm down, everybody. But I won't ever, I won't ever delve underneath my swimming costume. But the men are all delving into their trunks. That's what I'm getting at, Mort. I feel that was too much detail. I don't know. We've got another one here about <laughs> this is, we should have said this is an adult podcast. So if you are in any way easily offended, well, we, neither of us know why you're here, because we do, we do cover, I think it's fair to say, a reasonable spread of life's rich tapestry. Yeah, I tell you what, darlings, if you're five or six years old, switch it off and go and find mummy. She'll have a very nice... Oh, daddy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. waiting for you. But please switch it off. Mummy, daddy, or your non-binary carrier. <laughs> right, now, um, this is about erections in linen trousers. Now, it's fairly specific. I grant you this is a trifle niche, but nevertheless, it happened and we need to, we just need to, life is, is full of this sort of stuff. Well, it's not, to be fair. <laughs> Actually, it's not. <laughs> it, I won't mention the name. You mentioned men wearing linen in your email corner. And it reminded me of an odd episode from my days as a wedding photographer. We're a bit wedding heavy, actually, aren't we? Um, It's probably too freaky for radio. Oh, no. Well, it's freaky for radio, but it's fine for a podcast. I had somehow booked a wedding for a couple who were extremely religious. This couple were heavily involved in a religion which made a really big deal out of no sex before marriage. It was mentioned several times that they'd never actually kissed. So the groom and the groomsmen were all wearing very soft, drapey, light-coloured linen trousers. You can guess what happened when it was time for the first kiss. Yes, in the groom's linen pants. There it was. Very visible indeed. Other adjectives are used here. Bouncy is one and large is another. So off we go outside for photos and I'm trying very hard to find angles where the whole thing doesn't show. But the options are limited and prominence is an issue. Don't read the next bit. No, I won't. Nobody says anything, including the groom himself, and there is no jacket to cover it up. Fast forward to me working away later at my computer, editing the images and preparing the couple's gallery. 
I did try to find some workarounds, but there's just not much that can be done, so I eventually sent everything to the family. After a while, I got a carefully worded email from the very religious mother of the groom, saying that her son appears to have been somewhat excited and is there anything I can do. In the end, I did take pity and I sat at my computer, Photoshop at the ready, liquefying and pushing back into place and fixing all manner of other things in all the photos. Now that I'm typing this, I think it's too revolting to share. But still, if men must wear these linen trousers, I suppose they should at least have a very thick lining in them. Anyway, in other news, Jane, I've also got a lavender-coloured single of Squeezes Up the Junction, which I loved and still do. Thanks for your show. I listen every day. I'm just a basic English girl from London, Birmingham, Bournemouth, but have been in the States for the last 35 years. I now live on a boat in Seattle, and it's lovely, says that contributor. So she's taken us to a few places there, hasn't she? Not least Seattle. Thanks very much. You've interviewed presidents. Uh, I've taken I programmes haven't. to the UN. <laughs> but, yep, linen trousers and erections. Well, no, seems linen. To be where we've ended up. Linen trousers. Linen trousers, yep. Although... Uh, Anyway, no. yeah. Uh, can I do quite a serious one from uh, Rachel, who is one of a couple of people, uh, quite a few people who've written in about uh, deep thinking crime fiction, because we've had quite a lot of conversations after the Joan Nesbo interview about the depiction of women in a sexualized way as victims of crime in novels and what that might do to all of our heads. And thank you very much indeed for your very thoughtful email, Rachel. I agree with a lot of it, most of it, all of it. Um, and I suppose having given it quite a bit of thought, it's not just getting older and realising that a woman's place in the world can sometimes be and often is so much more vulnerable than a man's. It's more than that, actually, Jane. It's because I really, really love crime fiction and I find that use of the sexualized young beautiful woman just an incredibly dull plot it's dull and it's offensive mm -hmm. and it's just used in such an easy way to start a book off because that's the way that the writer imagines that you're going to grab the empathy and compassion of the reader and it's been done too much it's so horrible it's been done to death and I'm not trying to make a crass joke there, and it just doesn't do what you're intending it to do anymore. So I think it has just become grotesque in that way. And also, it's the fact that if you kill a man in crime fiction, the second question after, you know, how was he murdered, isn't, was he raped or sexually assaulted? And it always is now in crime fiction. So there'll be a young woman murdered, body found in a forest. Along comes the detective inspector. How was she killed? Blow to the head. Was she raped? In the same breath. Mm. Just, you know, that's what happens to women. And that's the bit that I really, really struggle with now, to the point at which I find it really difficult, impossible, I just, I mean, to read you, books that have that as a device. Do you think female authors are as guilty? Yes, I do, actually. I'm trying to think of... Yeah, so I think just the level of violence and the distribution of violence towards young, attractive women is absolutely in the books of female crime writers too. And maybe everybody gets to a saturation point, you know, at some stage in their reading life, mm. and I've just definitely got to mine... But I've been really struck uh, recently, a couple of books that I've picked up, where I just don't think it's necessary. I think it's been quite a lazy plot device. Well, maybe oh, it's time for publishing houses to have a word with themselves about this. Yeah. But, I mean, ultimately, they're about making money. And what, it sells. And it sells. Yeah. We know it, it sells. sells. And I think Joe Nesbo said in our interview that 80% of his readership is female. Yeah, well, that's depressing. So, you know, it's not something that most of his readers are feeling but anyway Rachel I hope that answers some of your questions and I hope that you carry on reading too and enjoying it can I just say I've just finished John Boyne's uh, The Heart's Invisible Furies which was a recommendation from quite a few of our listeners uh, as to a novel that was really properly funny and you're absolutely right what a brilliant brilliant book and just a really really good high 
comedic writing uh, that doesn't take away from the plot or make it silly or anything like that. It's just absolutely brilliant, so thank well, you for that. I can do another hard recommend, which is for Louise Kennedy's book, Trespasses, which is the book that I think is likely to win the Women's Prize for Fiction. It's it's tipped for it, but it's you tipped. never know with that prize, you Jane. Don't, you don't never know. It go in any number of different places, but I finished that over the weekend, and wow, that's... Um, that is, I, I was going to say it's not that easy to read. It's not that easy to read because the writing is so beautiful that you need to drink it in a little bit. It's not a, it's not a mega pacey gallop. No, it isn't. It really isn't. But it's beautifully written and incredibly sad and just an absolute total. It's out in paperback now. So if you want a book that will really make you think and take you back as well, it's about the troubles. Um, anyway, it's just, it's fantastic. Um, Stuart, who's got letters after his name. I don't know what these mean. MGDS. Magnum. Floriana. Digital. Supremo. That's, Excellent. That's Stuart. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he says, dear both, are you trying to become the 21st century hinge and bracket? No. Keep going. Because we're not men in drag. Well, actually, are you? <laughs> Broadcasting's in enough trouble if that ever gets out. <laughs> right, should we do DJ Factoni? I just want to mention this uh, from Tracy. Um, hearing you discussing the quality item, the tabard, took me back to my Saturday job in a fruit and veg shop in the 1980s. The manager proudly announced we were going to wear sponsored sweatshirts. I was dismayed to see when they arrived that they were advertising outspan oranges with their logo across our chest saying, small ones are more juicy. I was quite a self-conscious but relatively well-endowed 16-year-old and I knew nothing good would come of this. And sure enough, every man old enough to be my father couldn't resist making every joke you can think of. I despaired until I remembered I'd been offered a tabard to wear when I started, which I had, of course, turned down on the basis that I wasn't a pensioner cleaning her house, but now it proved my saviour wearing it on top of the sweatshirt. I have thought very fondly of tabards ever since says Tracy. And thank so you. you should. Yes, and thank you for that actually genuinely terrible reminder of that really stupid slogan. Surely that wouldn't happen now. No, of course it wouldn't, Jane. Uh, DJ Fat Tony, real name Tony Marnock, is the king of the fashionable dance floor. His memoir, I Don't Take Requests, lays bare his drug habit, his battle to get and stay clean, and the abuse that he suffered as a child. It's 15 years since he changed his life and went to rehab. He came in to see us last week, didn't he? And we had a fantastic chat about everything that is included in his book, which is called... I Don't Take Requests. And we should say that this is quite a frank interview and anybody affected by any issues in it, uh, you can send us an email at feedback at times.radio and we'll point you in the right direction to the resources and help you need. And just say again, if you're five years old or six years old, bedtime, switch it off. Uh, we began by telling him how well he looked. No, I, you know, at the end of my using, I weighed seven stone i had one tooth left in my head my whole face had caved in uh through the the the, the drugs that i'd been taking at that point in time kind of just changed my whole bone structure in my face it was just really bizarre like uh but today that's not the case because today i look after myself and i drink water and i do everything in the better to, to do absolute perfection when it comes to looking after myself because it's really important it is but when it came to writing this book did you decide to be as brutally honest as possible because yeah. i'll be honest with you, there were bits of this i i was quite shocked by mm. um, i i think if you're going to write a book and you've never written a book before you want to make the best book you can and i it took two and a half years because there were a lot of stops and changes because I would write, I would do it with Mikey. We would, I'd dictate, here would go away and he'd come back the next day. He's your day. ghostwriter. Yeah. yeah, no, he wasn't a ghostwriter. We wrote it together. Okay. So, uh, and he would come back and he would have put words in like jolly, which is not a word I use. Uh, and then uh, we, he would change it. But, you know, it was not, it wasn't truthful enough. I just thought, hang on, why have I, why have I sugarcoated that? And there were bits, there are elements of it, different chapters that I've really struggled with, you know, the abuse chapter and stuff like that. I went, whilst writing that stuff, I kind of got really ill. Like uh, the first day that we started the abuse chapter, I, I, I thought I had food poisoning. 
and it turns out it was it was post trauma. It was the trauma that of of what I thought I dealt with early on as a as a, as a teenager. I'd never dealt with it, uh, but to, and suddenly to bring that stuff up made me really really ill. So I had to go away and do uh, extreme trauma therapy around those chapters, um, which was amazing in itself because it kind of got me to a point where I can talk about that stuff very freely and easily because I've dealt with it now. But, yeah, I think that telling the truth when you've lied all your life, which I had done up to that point, was the most cathartic thing I could have done. And, you know, if you'd said to me 40 years ago, the minute you get tr- you start telling the truth is the minute you'll find freedom, I would have laughed in your face. Uh, and But it's true. Yeah, I mean, there are some interesting celebrity endorsements of the book, and I love the one from Elton John and David Furnish, <laughs> who describe you as a <laughs> but say they still love you. Um, it I mean, kind that, of sums it up, really. Well, it, it, I mean, you say yourself, you, your behaviour, and we will talk about some of the terrible things that happened to you as a, as a kid, but your behaviour was pretty awful, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. And you say that yourself. But you know what? You know, today I would have been diagnosed with ADHD and I would have been diagnosed with dyslexia and all of those things. And as a kid, I wasn't. I was, I was diagnosed as a problematic child. Um, and I never got the help that I needed and I wasn't given direction. So I was unruly. So I was sent to places where unruly kids went. Uh, and there was no, like, uh, care or love in those in those places, especially within the schooling system. So, you know, I was left to my own devices. And, you know, we come from a time where that we didn't have social media. We didn't have that platform to project ourselves or be... We had to create our own platform. And I, where I was abused as a child at 10 years of age for four years... That I laugh about it because it's not laughing at the abuse. I'm laughing right. at the fact that it went on for four years. For me, that kind of changed my the way I, I saw people and the way I was treated. I, I didn't know any better. I didn't know how to treat. So I didn't want anyone ever to get close to me. I always wanted people to like me. I never ever wanted anyone to love me because I was scared of love. I was scared of intimacy because the only intimacy I'd ever known to that point was sexual intimacy and it was forced upon me. So it changed the direction of my life. Can you tell us just a little bit about that abuse, just how you ended oh, yeah. up in a position where this had happened to so, you? So, you know, um, I, I, at the time, it was the summer holidays, and, I, and there was a place in, in Battersea called Battersea Arts Centre on Lavender Hill, and I, there was a summer club, and I, I started going there, my mum and dad sent me there on uh, weekdays, and I met some guy that was showing films in youth clubs. And he offered me a job very quickly, offered me a, a job, you know, started to groom me. And within a, a couple of months, you know, the abuse started. But he kind of, you know, it was, uh, you know, very, you know, I was always out. I never, there was never a point of me where I had to think about my sexuality. I kind of just knew who I was. And I was very, very uh, outward about that stuff. So he kind of, it was, he, I was easy prey in that sense. Also, there was a lot of stuff going on at home. Um, and the abuse went on for four years. Four years, I was made to feel that it was my, me doing it, it was my instigation. I was made to, you know, because I was working for him, money was changing hands. It, it all become really, really dark and really awful very quickly. And, and to my complete amazement, although I was, you know, I'm around the same age as you, I grew up at that time, this guy took you abroad. Yeah. And in fairness, a number of adults did try to intervene yeah. on your behalf. Yeah. Um, but this was happening in plain sight. Mm-hmm. Do you believe that could happen now? I really don't believe it could happen now. I think that we're more clued up around that stuff. And I think that the word paedophile is such a part of our our, um, our vocabulary today and the understanding of that word. Back then, there wasn't. it really wasn't the case. I think it was much more of an ushered word. I think it was what went on behind closed doors. People really didn't really weren't really clued up around it. My mum and dad were certainly not clued up about the fact that someone was grooming me or any of that stuff because my mum had her own issues at the time. She had cancer and my dad didn't couldn't cope with the fact that my mum had cancer. So he was drinking. So, you know, when my mum did actually at some point ask me, oh, it, it, has he ever tried to touch you or anything like that for some own reason because my little brother had said something. And I was like, no, 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 because I was made to feel that if I had said that, then I would be the one that got in trouble because mm. I was accepting money. But do you think it was also a bit of homophobia because there was mm. a fear of uh, not understanding 
a gay relationship, but also that trope of the older man and the younger 100%, man. hundred percent, yeah. I, I, there, and that's still with us today. Isn't oh, it? that so much is with us today. But we, 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 uh, within our, with, especially within my community, the whole daddy thing is a really big issue. You know, people like, you know, anyone who's of a certain age and they go with younger people are like daddies and, you know, it's kind of like generalized. But when it comes to the word paedophilia and paedophile, they're not gay men. Let's get that straight. It's it's a whole different ball game, you know. Gay men are, you know, obviously you can get gay men that are pedophiles, but pedophiles in general are not gay men. They're they're a whole different sexuality in themselves, mm. and I think that's what needs to be more understood. It's an illness, like anything, you know. It's a set, you know, to say it's an illness is is easy for me to say because I was abused, but you know, when you look at it on a grander scale, you know, these people. It, they don't have a choice. It's not like something, oh, they woke up today. Like, I'm gay, right? I know my sexuality. A paedophile is exactly the same kind of thing. They know that they're a paedophile. What, what is really shocking, and, and really, I know, upset you desperately, yeah. is that you were falsely accused of yeah. abusing a boy, a yes. teenager. Yeah. And that is the point at the, in the book, I think, at which you're, you're, you're lowest, aren't you? Because that was just really tough. You know... My life at that point, I was like, I was two years clean and I was out walking my dog and this situation happened where they'd laid grass down outside the Angel shopping centre. This kid had thrown a piece of turf at my pregnant dog that I was just coming back from the vets with that was just getting her tested. Uh, and um, and I, I, I very stupidly smacked him around the head because, you know, it was my dog and... Uh, that was it. And then suddenly, three days later, I was jumped on by nine police and held, taken to a police station. And I was questioned without a lawyer because I didn't think that I needed a lawyer. I thought, hang on, they're going to let me go in a minute. They've got the wrong person. I was quite happy to talk to the police, thinking, OK. But in, in, that, in that interview, I said that I'd been abused as a child. You know, I just got into recovery. I was two years clean. And, and part of my programme is to be honest. So I told them everything told me everything they needed to hear in the sense that I was a gay man, I'd cruised in the past, you know. And, you know, two and two made 26 very quickly for them. Uh, and I had a year of persecution, a year where I wasn't allowed to go to my own house. I had a year where I was on bail, I went to prison. I went to Bentonville Prison for... It seemed like an, etern an eternity, but it was like a, a matter of like six weeks of being in, in Pentonville Prison for something that I'd never done. And at that point in time, you know, I, I was still sober and I never once reached for a drink or a cigarette or anything well, else. But you went back home to live with your mum and dad, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I went down to Dungeness, bowed to my mum and dad's house. Um, and living down there, you know, I blame my dad for so many things in my life because my dad used to beat my mum when he drank. Uh, when I was a kid, and I held on to that stuff, and I never realised until that point of being put down with my mum and dad on tag uh, that my dad was 30 years sober. I never ever gave him that credit because I never, I was too busy blaming him for me because it was easier for, to blame him for the things that he said and did 30 years, like 30 years prior, than to actually blame myself, you know. Um, and it was probably one of the most amazing situations because out of all that darkness at that point in time, what I was going through, I got to know my father. And then I obviously won the court case uh, because it was vindicated of all charges, proving court that it never happened. And, you know, my dad saw that happen and then a month later passed away in front of me, which I'm so grateful for, the fact that I got to know him in that respect, even through that dark time. Something really magical happened through that. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moon.
Pig.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You are listening to Off Air with Fee and Jane, and our guest today is DJ Fat Tony, Tony Marnock. Now, here he is um, answering the question about how worried he was about going back to his job in the clubs after he'd left rehab. For me, uh, when I was in rehab... And uh, the, I, the very last day, they said to me, you can't go back to London, you can't go back to DJing, you can't go back to that relationship. And, and at that point in time, I said, I'm not going backwards to anything, I'm going forwards to London, I'm going forwards to my career. And I, and it's been that way since. Uh, for me today, I uh, music is the best drug you'll ever, ever take in your life. It, will, it has the ability to transport you to places... That you, that memories that you have, three bars of a tune can make your hair stand on end. No drug can do that, right? And for me, I have that connection with music again. I have that connection with people. But we were, we were talking about you yesterday, Tony, behind your back, <laughs> uh, and both both marvelling at how you could hold it together and do these great nights and put together, you know, track after great track after great track when you're absolutely out of it. Um, on some sort of bender that on occasion could go on for four or five days, n- yeah. n- not sleeping. Just, uh, quite simply, do you remember how you did it? Because uh, I had to do it. That was the way I got money. That was what I did. And... But you weren't paying tax or anything, were oh, you? Oh, no, I didn't pay tax until I was 51. <laughs> and now I'm paying probably more tax than the whole government Good. put together, which is fine, and I don't moan about it. Do you go? Know what I mean? Because it's like, hang on. But you you know, know, it was... I'm sorry, but that was such a fantastic BBC question. It really was, wasn't it? Tax. But you didn't pay tax. <laughs> You know what the thing is? I, I was, but I was the first person to hold my hand up to it because you know it. It was a case of what well, I remember my dog getting ill, and everyone was like, "Have you not got pet insurance?" I was, like, "I'm a junkie. How have I got pet insurance? Get real. You know, paying the tax. Who's the tax man? You know, I was a junkie for 28 years. I was homeless. Homeless people don't pay tax. Do you get what I'm saying to you? It well, was you, kind did, of a you owed rent, I think, um, unfortunately, on Paul you Raymond, owed to Paul Raymond <laughs> the king of Soho. Yeah, yeah, like you know. Um, for for many years, uh, you know, they 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 bankrupted me at one point, um, which is fine. You know, these are circumstances of my using, circumstances of situation. Today, I I as I say, today I don't have any skeletons in my closet. I I do what's right by me and by what everyone else around me, because I I have a duty of care, not only for myself but for many other addicts i you know yeah. i i i work with people in addiction I work with all different types of people because i'm i'm firm believe you what you put out you get back and for me not to pay my tax today would be just I'm, extremely i'm wrong. glad we've cleared that up but it's true no, you know, i know i get it completely you know this um, year i went to see my tax man uh, uh, my accountant and uh you know my uh threshold had gone so high and I was like oh my god how am I going to pay this and of course my f- instinct reaction was I'm not paying this I'm going to leave the country I'm going to go and live somewhere else and it was the day before I was 16 years clean in January I'm on the t- 9th of January I'm, I'm, I was 16 years on the 10th of January and, and I remember sitting in the accountants and she was like well look the, the bad news is blah 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 and, and they told me the, the amount of money and I was like that's, a, that's like a house and they were like, well, you've obviously earned that money. And I was like, I don't want you to tell me that I've earned that money to, in order to pay that tax. But, you know, the thing was, my re- immediate reaction was, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And I sat there and thought, you're 16 years clean tomorrow and sober. Of course you're doing it. And I was like, of course, I'll pay it. I'll pay it straight away. Can you um, just name drop for us? Um, just take us a little bit into your glamorous life. Um, <laughs> what was the best night? What, what was When you look round a room and think, wow, there's what? And there's them, and then they're here as well. Did You You must have been there's, starstruck by it all. Uh, you know what? Uh, what I, I think I'm more starstruck since I've been sober that, that by it. Because those, you know, they, there's been moments where I had these pinch me moments and I just think, how the hell did I get here? from being homeless on the street with no teeth to suddenly being in Donatella Versace's living room, you know, or being on a boat with Leonardo DiCaprio. Those kind of moments 
are like real like wow moments. And then I then what I do is I reel it back in because I, I for me it's a part of my job and what I do. And they're they're, they're levels of where they're not success levels. They're levels of career, their career levels. Success, as I say today, is for me is not about being on a boat with Leonardo DiCaprio or being in papers or magazines for the right reasons. What it is is it's about being at home with my dog on the sofa and being in the moment. That's true success to me today. And everything else career-wise, when anyone says, what was your best party or what was the best night you ever had, I always say it's never happened yet mm. because things always get better. With all of your knowledge of addiction, do you think you can stop an addict before they even start? I think that education is a very big part of what we are, and, and understanding. Tolerance shouldn't, is, it shouldn't be a part of it. It's, it's about acceptance of where that person is and you accept them for who they are and where they're at and you let them know that you're there to support them. When we start to point fingers it all gets very underground and very dark. And I just think that you can't stop. If someone who's an active addiction, if you feel that, oh, we're going we're gonna to organise a, you know, an intervention, please don't. Because what you're doing is you're just making that person hide and be more shameful around what they do. Shame is a really big factor of when we're, when we're in addiction. We don't need it added to us by other people, especially members of our, our loved ones. We want, we want them to accept us in the sense that, okay, I'm here for you. The minute that you, you you think that they need help, that's when you, you, you go in and you say, listen, let me take you somewhere. Let me show you. Let me show you. you, Not, you need to go because yeah. you need doesn't work. Let us. That's, that's the secret to this. You did try to help George Michael, didn't you? Oh, on so many occasions. You know, I loved George and, I, you know, there were moments where I got through. There were moments where I got through. But you know what? It, it, it's... It's, it's circumstantial again, you know, you can get through to someone on a Monday, but Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, they're, they're gone again because their other friends come in and get involved. You know, we uh, the thing about addicts is they take prisoners, very, uh, you know, and before you know it, you know, you can't, you, you can't remove someone. It's, the only minute you can make someone stop is when they want to stop. You know, those God-given moments. Can you just give us your ultimate floor fillers, please? Floor? Um, I mean, it depends on where I am and what I'm doing. Because I, 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 I read energy. That's my job. I, I, I don't set out to make a, a, a playlist for a club before I go out. It's all on sticks. I will sit, get there and I read the energy of that dance and I relay that energy back. Well, let me set a scenario for you then. Yeah. Let's, say, <laughs> let's say it's Lady Jane Garvey's 60th birthday. Oh, it's unthinkable, isn't it? And she's out in a club, Tony. She's got all her mates around yeah. her. What would I like? She likes a big floor-filling bag. Oh, well, OK. We're going with Freed from Desire and then we'll take it from there. We'll do Pump Up the, vo- Pump Up the Jam and all of those parts. Yeah. Tunes. Come on, Eileen. Listen, yeah, of course, well, I wouldn't go that far. But you know, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? You know, it, 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 if it's a party, it needs to be a party. Yeah. And you, you know, there's not, there's nothing worse than someone thinking they're too cool for school to play party music. We do a brunch on Sundays. We don't use the word brunch anymore. On Saturdays, called Full Fat, and it's primarily 300 women every Saturday. Uh, we do it in seasons because it, it's so it's so exhausting for me. But you know, it's uh, from midday till five pm, and it's all women enjoying the moment, regardless of age, sexuality, race. Well, which, size. which tracks go down well there? Oh, so it? there, it's all about old house tracks okay. and all the classics. Do you know what I mean? We we play everything from. Robin S, Show Me Love, right the way through. You know, there's lots of George Michael played. Right. Always. Oh, that sounds like Fast Love is the good one, isn't it? I've got it tattooed on my hands. Oh, you have? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, I Fast Love. couldn't help but notice one of your other tattoos uh, says hypocrite. Yeah, I have arrogant and hypocrite on my hands because this is the hand I always say to people, don't do this, don't do that, and I'm doing it myself. <laughs> and this is the hand that I tell people to... Uh, F off with. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> well, I think that's an appropriate way which to end are, the interview. Which one are we going to get? You're, uh, you'll get neither today, actually. <laughs> oh, oh. 
You're going to get the, the loving hand, oh. the helping hand. That was Fat Tony. Uh, Tony Marnock and I Don't Take Requests is is a memoir for the broad-minded, I think it's fair to say, uh, because he's, um, he's pretty um, explicit about the stuff that he did uh, and the things that he went through as well. Um, and he's also very, very honest indeed about himself and what he acknowledges to be his many failings. But he was interesting, wasn't he? Oh, and really likeable. Yeah, yep. yeah. We've got some cracking guests coming up next week. Who we? have we got? Uh, Judy Murray. She's got a novel out, hasn't she? she? Has written, about tennis. I've written a book about tennis. Yeah. And also uh, another of our old colleagues from back in the day. Darling Dickie. Darling D- Dear Dickie. Dickie Coles. Uh, <laughs> the Reverend, although is he as reverend as he used to be? Well, he's been saying some things, hasn't he? He's not really, he's not really going to church at the moment, Jane. There's a lot to talk to that one about. actually told Decker Aikenhead in the Sunday Times magazine at the weekend that he likes a lie-in on a Sunday. <laughs> well, he's not a lie-in. Interestingly, it's one of the reasons that I don't go to church. Although... <laughs> Is that a reason why you're not a reverend? <laughs> If they'd only just... Oh, no, actually, I don't want to start laughing about yeah, Sabbath. Was... Don't do that. No, no don't. No, no, don't. Um, no. Quick correction corner. Uh, apologies to everybody listening in Ireland. Uh, Leslie says, we were talking yesterday, actually, for uh, Jane and Jane and I, Jane and Jane, about Maryland, the yes. ITV show that I initially really enjoyed and gave a hard recommend to. Then I thought the last episode was a bit daft. But anyway, um, I thought it had been filmed in a place called Howth in Ireland, but actually it's Hoth in Ireland. So, you know, it was set in the Isle of Man. Well, this is so confusing, yes. But it was actually filmed in the Republic of Ireland in a place called Hoth. So my apologies. Because I don't like getting these things wrong, really. It's annoying. Please don't. And if anybody can remember what it was that you had turned Sunita's So Macho into, because it was, it was a bit of a theme in the podcast back in the other place, and it's going to annoy me so much now not to be able to remember what it was. It was something funny. I think it was about bras, Jane. They weren't thinking about bras too much these days. Anyway, uh, do get in touch with the podcast. uh, Off Air with Jane and Fee. We'd love to hear more from Mort. I quite like Mort's take on life. Uh, We'd love to hear more about anything that we've been discussing. And if you've got a very long, very serious email, don't be shy to send it in. uh, But just uh, do be aware that we'll probably save those ones for our big email specials. I think actually, um, I always say this, but the quality of the emails in terms of how well written they are is exceptional. But I think you'll be going some way if you can beat Mort's sentence about how as a gay man he's got about as much interest in the content of bras as he has in sea plankton i'm quite interested by sea plankton though there's some very very old and very complicated sea plankton out there right well if you are one or you know one you could actually or if you just know about sea plankton come on let's just educate ourselves education is a lifelong thing you know fee is it jane yes <laughs> i had no idea Right, good night, everybody. Sleep tight. Having a little bit of salmon tonight. That's like large sea plankton, isn't it? Yeah, in a way. Well done for getting to the end of another episode of Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times Radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Henry Tribe. And don't forget, there is even more of us every afternoon on Times Radio. It's Monday to Thursday, 3 till 5. You can pop us on when you're pottering around the house or heading out in the car on the school run. Or running a bank. Thank you for joining us and we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon. Don't be so silly. Running a bank? I know, lady. A lady listener. I'm sorry. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com